everybody, before we hop into this next podcast with Mari Sieg Miller, Trent's wife, we need to do a quick uh, two little ad reads. One is check out Kevin Edgerton over at 18 Alpha Fitness. It's 18afitness.com. Use the promo code, the number one and ready. Get yourself a 10% discount on all of his plans, whether you're going Ranger, Green Beret, Navy SEAL, Marine Raider, or any of the aspect war career fields. He tailor makes his plan to you based off of what goals you need to attain in order to ship. And then also the time associated with that, because we know that you're on a timeline and he wants to get you where you need to be uh, at the level that you need to leave at. So he doesn't just give you a plan and then let you, you know, go off on your own. He follows up with you, changes things as required. Also, make sure you check out eberlystock.com. That's eberlystock.com. Use the promo code OR10. That'll get you a discount on all of their kit, whether it's the technical clothing, the rucksacks. Um, They've got a whole bunch of modular rucksacks and three-day packs, some really long-range ones. They've got the mainframe that you can attach other bags to if you need to have an external frame. Great equipment. Great use for uh, law enforcement, military, hunting, regardless. Use our code OR10 and you're going to get a discount on all of it. So please go check them out. And now, on to Mari Siegmiller. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're in the team room and we've got Trent and Mari Siegmiller with us. Appreciate you joining us, Mari. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Listen. <laughs> I know you're nervous right off the bat. It's, we're just having a conversation. It's all good. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited <laughs> to be I, here. I see, I see Trent do this every week and I'm like, what are you doing? Are you talking to your internet friends again? But then I guess yeah, that's what it is. It's right? definitely internet friends. Yeah. yeah. Definitely internet friends. <laughs> Especially since Trent and I've only actually physically been in the same room. I think what twice. I think three times now maybe. you've come down. A, maybe a three. three times, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So you're actually active duty in the air force. Still you're on the officer side of the house, you're major. Um, but you do a whole litany of different things. So why don't you go into a little bit of your background that way, uh, the listeners and viewers get a chance to understand who you are and what you do. And then we'll kind of take it from there. Okay. Thanks. So I'm Maddie Segmiller. Uh, I came into the air force at 17 absolutely begrudgingly. I had zero plan of staying in past four years. Like my parents were like, why don't you do the air force? And I was like, no, I don't really think that's for me. And now here I am 21 years later and it's been the best experience of my life. So I'm really glad that I started out enlisted because I was only 17 when I enlisted and I spent eight years enlisted and that was probably what I needed. I think I needed the discipline. I needed the structure. I needed to see something outside of the small California town that I grew up in. So that was really instrumental in my development as a person. And I think that helped me once I became an officer to be better because I don't think at 22, like most officers, I would have been ready to lead. At 22, I had just made staff sergeant. I was just trying to live my best life. <laughs> so Are we all? Um, I've had a, a pretty a pretty good career. I've been able to, my first sta- duty station was Davis Monthan. And that was really cool because it was far enough from my parents you know, I was barely 18 at that point. So it's far enough for my parents where I could be a little bit of a grown up, but close enough for me to go home if I really needed to. 
So within that first four years, I had deployed to uh, Saudi Arabia to PSAB whenever we did the buildup for the war in 03. And then I went to Al-Udid when it was just bare base Al-Udid, like tents and, you know, like just like you other mean, deployments that I've been on. it's not the city that it is now? No, no. When I went back on my last couple of deployments passing through, I was like, this was not here when I got here. But when I did go in 03, I was at PSAB, which was the city of, you know, the AOR at the time. So I mean, when I was enlisted, I was the information manager. So I did a lot of admin stuff. I think now they call it, what is it? 3AF? Well, I was a 3A. And so now okay. they're 3Fs. And uh, <clears throat> I think. And um, yeah, so admin I and personnel. Yeah. So that's what I did when I was enlisted and I really wanted to be a pilot. So I was running all the time. I was working out hard. I was making sure that I could pass that TBAS and do all the things I needed to do. And I ended up, it was when I was at ASLOC as a staff sergeant, my commander put me in for the scholarships for outstanding airmen to ROTC and I got selected for that. And Trent and I had just gotten married at the time and I didn't want to be away from him because I was like, great, like I just got married and now this one dream that I have is coming to fruition. So I ended up choosing to go to Southern Miss because at the time he was at Keesler. And so I just commuted up to Hattiesburg and did ROTC for two years. And that was a really good experience. I think I was able to enjoy it, enjoy the college experience while still being married. But why are you laughing? <laughs> He's laughing at me because I really enjoyed it. Like, I mean, we didn't have kids. We were just married. I'd be like, come on, let's go party. And it was so much fun. And I got to do the things that I didn't do when I was younger in a college environment. I mean, I did those things as an airman, but in the college environment it was different too. So I got like the best of both worlds. Um, and then after I commissioned, it was really good because I, I was kind of mad. I'm not going to lie. When they first told me I was going to be a personnel force support officer, I was so mad. I was like, mm, this isn't for me. This is not why I wanted, this is not why I wanted a commission. Like, can I just go back to being enlisted? They're like, that's not how that works. And I was like, but why? <laughs> like, I, this is not what I want to do. And I'll never forget at the time, his name was Captain Beck, but now he's Lieutenant Colonel retired. And he said, Maribel, just go. He's like, you will bloom where you're planted. And that sounds so cliche, but I am so grateful for that advice because when I got to being a 38F, which is what I am now, like, I don't think I could be anything else. Like, I love it so much. I love the people. I love the things that I've been able to do. And despite the times that it's pulled me away from my family, I'm so grateful because I get to pour so much information and so much knowledge and teach people that are young, impressionable airmen how to be good people, you know, and so leave the <laughs> Air Force way better. And um, I'm grateful for that. I've deployed, what, three times in the last six and a half years, which is a lot for personalists. So if anybody out there is watching, not every 38F deploys as much. I just somehow get so lucky. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so um, when I went to Afghanistan, yeah. yeah, when I went to Afghanistan, I was in protocol and I was running all of the major distinguished visits for the four star that was running the Afghanistan war. So that was a really cool experience for me. Like, mind you, it was scary. You know, I'm thinking I'm in the middle of a city in Kabul. They just dropped me off. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, how did I get here? And then I realized like the things that were happening there were important. And so it was a long seven months because I was busy every single day catching a general off a flight from Bagram to Kabul where I was. And then, you know, just coordinating a bunch of meetings within the city, within, you know, the three letter agencies, which was really cool because I got to see a, a whole different side of the strategic war. And so that was interesting for me. But when I came back, you know, Olivia was too. And Trent was here with her and he, I don't know how he did it because 
he's like father of the year. I just got to put that plug out there because I've gotten a lot. I've gotten a lot in the last couple of years. And I, people always ask me like, how do you go? How do you go on deployment so much? How are you so resilient? Well, first of all, it's not always easy. It's always hard. It's never easy to say goodbye, but I don't have to learn. Like, I don't have to worry about Trent. I don't have to worry about things at home. So I can go and focus on the things that I need to do downrange. Whereas some people, they go downrange and they don't know if their house is going to fall apart. They don't know if their marriage is going to last. There are just things that Trent and I have solidified over the years that have made it so I can go. And now, you know, it's come to a point where I did two back-to-backs, you know, almost 13 and a half months apart, which was really tough on us. And it was tough on the kids. And and now I think it's time for me to kind of take a little bit of a step back. And I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay with putting my family first because for the better part of those 21 years, my career came first. And Trent and I being dual mill, we had to juggle that. And that that's not easy. You know, when Trent was on team, he was gone all the time. Like when he was deployed one of the years, I would call it Trent Tuesday because I would only hear from him on Tuesday. <laughs> so those were like my favorite days of the week. But now that we have kids, the whole dynamic changes. And I think that it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of communication. I mean, I even had to go to school for communication just to make sure that I could tell him like, hey, this is what we need to do. Right. But it worked out. So I think that answered your question very long. <laughs> hey, that's a background. It, it's, you know, to try and sum somebody's background up in a matter of, you know, what we've been recording yeah. for seven minutes, like that's, that's tough. But, um, two things on that though is, you know, father of the year. I agree. He's, he is the father <laughs> of ones ready at least. So, uh, he's keeping us together. And then, um, I, I really, I'm interested to hear how Trent basically ruined your dreams of being a pilot. I mean, it's gotta be my fault. Cause, it, cause that's, that's the way it sounds to me is that Trent directly ruined your dreams of being a pilot. No, I don't think he, Trent has always been in support of my dreams, but what happened, I think we both had to sacrifice to be together because when we were engaged, you know, they were asking him to go assess at one of those places up in North Carolina. And he told me about it. And my boss, because I was the CSS girl at the time, and I was like dead set on not dating any of those boys. I was like, I don't want anything to do with the controller. I don't want anything to do with the PJ. I don't want anything to do with the, at the time they were Southeast. I was like, no, none of them. And for like two years, I didn't date any of them. And then I met Trent and it all went out the window. And I tried to keep it like, you know, quiet. I didn't say anything because my boss was the superintendent of the 10th Combat Weather Squadron. And he was happened to be Trent's boss when Trent was up at debt five. And so <laughs> they're like, Hey, what are you doing this again? And I was like joking and be like, Oh, I'm going out with my boyfriend. But like, you don't have a boyfriend. Stop lying. I'd be like, I do have a boyfriend because I was just like super focused on my studies, super focused on school. I no kidding. Like I would go to work at lunchtime. I would go to the education office and do a class. And then after school or after work, I'd go to school until about nine or 10 at night. And then I would take weekend classes because I was super determined on this is what I was going to do and nothing was going to get in my way. Not a boy, like nothing. Right. And so when I met Trent, I was like, Hey, like, you know, if you want to go out and hang out, that's cool. But like, uh, you know, on the on weekdays I'm busy and he was an AST. So he was busy too, but he'd be like, Hey, can I come over? But like, no, I'm, I got school. He's like, what about after? I was like, no, I'm going to the gym because I was just so focused. And I was like, I'm going to be a pilot. This is what I'm doing. Like you can come with me or not. And so I was just like bulldozing my way through that. And then it, I kind of got a reality check because, you know, Trent was doing really well in his own right in his career. And my supervisor was like, Hey, MB, that's what they used to call me, MB, Mary Bell. <laughs> so like, Hey, MB, I got to talk to you. And I was like, Yeah, they're like, Okay, so 
Trent, they're going to ask Trent to come up to North Carolina. And I'm like, what? Why? And because he's good. He's good <laughs> at what he does. And I was like, okay. And I was like trying to like, okay, maintain your composure. Don't lose it. Like it's Trent's choice. And so, and Trent was actually deployed at the time. So when he called me, I couldn't even like, I just blurted it out. I was like, are you going to do it? And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And I, no <laughs> I was like, well, Scotty said this, this. And he was like, why don't you calm down? He's like, we'll talk about it when I get home. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so like, I'm thinking like the possibilities of like, wait, this is like the first guy that I've ever been like, okay, like how do we like figure out to make our dreams mesh together? And I think that was a significant turning point in my relationship and the things that I wanted going forward in the future. And Trent always supported me wanting to be a pilot. And so when he came back, he decided that he wasn't going to go up there and that we would just like move forward with, cause we had plans of like, you know, having a future together at that point. And when he asked me to marry him, he took me on my first private pilot lesson, which was really cool because I just totally threw it out the window that, you know, all I was, all I was thinking was like, this is like the best experience of my life. And then to top it off, when we got down and we, I landed the aircraft and then we were out on the what am I trying to say? Like the words escape me today. I don't know why. There's just so much of that moment that I'm feeling right now. <laughs> so when we got out of the plane, he hands me like this box and I'm like looking at him and he hands me this box and I'm like, and I open it and it's a ring and I'm like, are you going <laughs> to, we were supposed to do it in the plane. It was in your pocket. Yeah. In the pocket of your jacket that you were wearing. Cause I gave you the coat. But you were having such a good time during the flight yeah. that it threw the whole plan off. Yeah. You know, and you and the pilot were talking and, and doing all that stuff. So I, I didn't want to chime in and be like, by the way, look in your pocket. Will you marry me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so she's trying to land a plane. You know? <laughs> so when I, when I, <laughs> so when I gave him like the box or whatever, he gave me the box out of my pocket and he's like, will you marry me? And I was like, are you even going to say that? I think to this day, I'm still mad about that because you didn't say that. What he did was, you know, typical Trent. Like I open it up and I'm like, "Why well, are you going to ask me? And he goes, mm. and I was like, okay, <laughs> it was really cute. You throwing the whole so, plan off. I was nervous. <laughs> I think that is okay. Um, it was, it worked out, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was, I think that helped me to realize that he was going to be in support of my dreams, no matter what I wanted to do. So I really don't feel like he made me give up my, my pilot dreams. I think had I been a pilot, I don't know that we would have made it through because pilots have such a high ops tempo and they're gone all the time. And there was just no way, you know, it, I'm sure there's a way people make it happen all the time, but with Trent's high tempo career field, and if I would have been a pilot, it just, I think it worked out the way it was supposed to work out. You know, being a 38F force support officer is my favorite. I love it so much. I really do. Like, and I oversee a lot of different things, you know, and my career field has a huge job jar. We are not just one, one set thing, right? We are protocol. We are SARCs. We are uh, manpower. Well, that's actually personnel. what I wanted to go into is, is what is whatever, what, man, I can't talk today either. I need this coffee <laughs> to kick in. Trenchcoffee.com. Trenchcoffee. <laughs> anyway. um, yeah. The, so you have a lot with uh, much like a lot of career fields within the Air Force, there's a lot of different things that uh, jobs do. And force support is, it it's probably has the most like little categories underneath that AFSC. So what are all the things that you kind of fall under your umbrella? 
Well, right now I'm the operations officer for the largest uh, force support squadron in the Air Force, which is is huge. It's there's well over I don't even know. There's so many people in our squadron, like about two thousand people in our squadron, which is like a small wing, right? But in a squadron, you have two thousand people. Yeah, we yeah we have so many people in our squadron. <laughs> it's oh well, it, it sounds big, but it's across three locations, and so there are three. We're one large FSS across three locations, and you have to factor that in with the dining facilities, lodging, civilian personnel, manpower, not manpower. Um, well, we actually have manpower. They fall under us, too. Um, what else? We have the MPF. We have just so much stuff, and it's MPS, but I'm just old school, and I cannot get myself to say MPF when I am in that career field, but I'm just so used to saying that, um, but it's MPS, and so there's just so many people, and so I oversee all of the operations at my location which is a really good experience because I get to be a part of each flight, but not really in charge of that flight because each flight has a flight chief. So it could be one day I'm helping out the MPS and helping them, you know, work a couple of issues or I'm getting, you know, a car for our casualty assistance representative, or I'm helping out with some of the civilian personnel stuff. So there's just a lot of different things that operations officers do. So, it's hard to explain what it's like, especially here. Like they call it a beast for a reason because it is, it's just, you have to be on your game here. You have to be able to think proactively, not reactively. And that's difficult to do at such a large organization, but I'm grateful that I have a boss. She's our commander. She just kind of lets me run the show at Randolph and she does not micromanage me. She lets me take it and she knows that I've got it. And so that instills a lot of confidence in me knowing that, okay, no matter what the situation comes, I know that my boss trusts in my leadership to do that. But that didn't happen overnight. That happened over years and experience of, you know, learning about my craft, about my field. And I still don't know everything. There's still so much that I need to learn to be a successful person at FSS. I don't think, I think every day is a challenge. So that's kind of good because you don't go into it every day be like, oh, I got this. It's easy. It's fine. Cause you don't, it's not fine. Like it could be so fun one day and then the next day it's, you know, you have all these fires that you're putting out. But I think just my personality and the experiences that I have, I thrive under pressure. So it's kind of a challenge every day to go in and be like, ooh, what waits for me? what's waiting for me at the my office today? So I like going to work every day. I don't, you know, some people get like that Sunday night blues, like, oh, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. Like, I don't ever feel like that. I don't. Like, I wish I could lie to you and tell you that I did because some people don't like FSS because it's a thankless job. But I mean, I couldn't be a, more of an advocate for it because people don't see a lot of the things that we do, but a lot of the things that we do have a significant impact on people's careers and their lives and the way that you sustain a base. What about no, finance? Yeah. And I'm finance. Okay. I'm not finance. So <laughs> in my building, oh, man, we're gonna, we're, okay, we're going to hate on finance. All right. No, no, no. I love finance. So I'm in my building. I'm at the top of the stairs and finance office is catty corner to mine. So like my office, my title says FSO. It stands for Force Support Officer. And it says Maribel Stegmiller. And then it says, you know, 802nd FSS. And um, people come to my door and be like, excuse me, is your team there? And I'm like, oh, uh, my, my team, like they're downstairs, they're down the hall. Which team are you talking about? Like finance, you're finance, right? And I was like, no, but how can I help you? And so I try to like do my best to help them because I'm in a customer service oriented job and I don't ever want people to think, like, I just put myself in their shoes. Like, how would I feel if I went to a somewhere and they're just like, no, that's not me. That's not my job. I like hate that so much. Like, don't yeah. say that's not my job. Cause half the stuff that I do is 
not my job, but you make it your job because that's a part of being in the Air Force. You take care of people, right? I get so mad mm-hmm. about that when people be like, yeah, I don't know. And I'm like, how do you not know? Like, if you don't know, like, call somebody. That's what I do. I don't know half the time what I'm doing, but I ask somebody. I'm very resourceful. I know who to call. And so, yeah, I take them over and I'm like, hi, like, they're here for you. Like, And then I do like a warm handoff and call it a day. Oh, but- yeah. <laughs> I'm giving Trent the look because every single day, I kid you not, somebody will come and be like, excuse me, are you finance? And I'm like, no, sorry, I'm not. <laughs> oh, you Does, put a sign up on your door that says not finance. Not finance. <laughs> yeah. What about, so that you're doing all those things in a, in a garrison type environment. What about deployed? Do those, I mean, those things still have to exist in a deployed environment. Um, but I'm sure that there's some aspects of it that are probably a little bit different. There's a lot different. It's just dependent on what you deploy in. And like I said, my jobs are so large. We don't always deploy as FSS officers. Sometimes we go down as protocol. Sometimes we go down as SARCs. Sometimes we go down as host nation coordination cell people who kind of help out that mission there. Um, when on my last deployment, I went down to be the sustainment services flight commander. Uh, but we realized quickly as I got there, like, I, because I was managing so many people back at home station, a flight of 30 in Africa was just, it was going to be me, a bunch of me just sitting around because I had a really capable senior master sergeant running the flight when I got there. So the squadron commander was like, well, you're already here. Do you want to move up to be the director of operations? You'll kind of oversee everything. And I was like, what? Okay. Like, (laughs) let me try this out. Right. I hadn't even been a squadron commander yet. And here I was flying up to basically like a mini group commander because we not, we just didn't have force support. We had, what do we have? Medical. We had, um, LRS, we had CE and FSS. And it was just the whole entire boss. I mission, you know, I always think when I mean, boss, I, it's base operations statement. Everybody oh, laughs. You're talking about like, the, you're, bo- the you're talking about the the boss. I infrastructure. Uh, it's infrastructure. That's yeah. what it is. Yes. Like it's basically I, who's in charge of the base. Yeah. Everything. It's who's in charge of putting, making sure that the operation sustains itself. Right. And that was what we did. And I was the DO of the, the air, expeditionary air base squadron out there, which was really cool because a, I wasn't intending to go out there to do that. And then I got that experience and it was such a great opportunity to see what fellow, um, fellow professions and as officers do, because I got to see what the third, the LROs do, what the CE officers do, what the medical officers do. But then I also got to get integrated into those flights and see how they really do work together to sustain the base. So that was really cool for me. And as an FSS person, I think that was such uh, an experience that I will never forget because I really got to be a person who got so immersed into those things. And I got to be in a such a high leadership position where I was the installation commander for 45 days, which I did not, I was extremely successful in that, but not on my own accord, like not at all. Like I was every day waking up and be like, I hope that I don't get fired. I really hope I don't get fired because this is going to be the worst. And I had like an 06 group commander pilot who was super hard, but it was good because he made me think. He made me really put my analytical hat on and think of all the different things that could go wrong in those 45 days. But it ended up working out so greatly. And I had such a good experience. And 
I got really, really got to know all the people in those flights, but they're the ones who made me successful. Like those flight commanders are the ones who made sure I knew what was going on every day. And as an FSS person, I don't know how to calculate fuel, but I learned, I learned, you know, when I learned when we were going to get the next shipment and I was able to speak smartly to all those different issues that were coming at me. And I'm super grateful for my SCL senior master sergeant, Josh Leonard, you guys had him on your podcast. <laughs> he kept me on my toes. And like some days I just wasn't feeling it. He'd be like, major, that ain't what right looks like. I'm like, oh, stop it. I'm like, leave me alone. I'm just trying to live. <laughs> but he, he really did keep me in line. And so that's, that's what I think sometimes people forget is that you have these great people in the Air Force and they always help you succeed and you're never alone. You're not going to fail. And that was, you know, my own insecurity. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're so great. You're so confident. I'm like, I'm a person. I have feelings and I think things and I, you know, I don't claim to be the best. I know I have a lot of growing to do. And so it's really humbling when you get put into those spots because you really get to see what you're made of. And then you realize you're like, hey, I'm not that bad after all. <laughs> Until somebody comes and slaps you right back in the place and go, actually, <laughs> that's, that's my yeah. experience. <laughs> Yeah. Anytime I get uh, too big for my britches. So. <laughs> oh, I never. I feel good. like I can never fit into the britches because I'm always like, I'm, this isn't going to work. And people will be like, you have to stop down. And you're like, you're going to do great. And I'm like, okay, we'll just see. And I just, right. I don't think too hard about it. I just go and I just see what happens and just go with it. And the commander there, he used to tell me, he's like, you never get mad. And I was like, get mad about what? And he's like, you never get mad. He's like, you always sit back and you just watch. He's like, you're so unemotional and I was like well you can't make decisions based out of emotion and he like looked at me like it was such a poignant thing and I'm like well you have to be logical I said if you let your emotions get in the way then you just lose control of the situation and Africa was crazy I'll tell you what like there was a lot of days you could have been really emotional with things happening there but I looked at it like this I'm there to lead these people to make this mission successful and if I'm freaking out and I'm you know, stressed out every five minutes, then that's the tempo that the people are going to take on. And I just wasn't trying to do that. So I went there and I took each day for what it was. And no matter what came our way, I just made sure that everybody understood the little piece of the mission that they had and how it was contributing. And we tried to have good morale there because we had such good people. And despite the different deployments that I've had, that one was probably the hardest just because it was such an austere location. But the camaraderie of the people there, like you, that's the things you can't match. And that's stuff you can't find in a textbook, you know? Oh, for sure. And dealing with people, it changes every single day based on the environment, the generation you're dealing with, what they mm -hmm. have going on in their lives. Because there's so many different variables that are involved in that, um, that you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, you had actually, these were your words. You said that you were, you were going to take a step back. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious when you say that, what, like, what's, what's next then if you're taking a step back? So, you know, unless I just misunderstood that, I don't know. <laughs> no, um, I have had a wonderful career. I have loved every single day, even the hard days, even when I look at the hard days, but I know what the next five years looks like if I stay in the military, which is really hard for me. I think I've come to terms with it the last couple months is that it's time for me to, you know, let pour into all the young officers and let them take the lead because I have to put my family first. I have to make my family a priority at this point, because if I continue on, I have to make some sacrifices and I'm just not willing to sacrifice my family at this point. And there's nothing wrong with that. I I've given a good, yeah. all of my, grown up life thus far to the air force. And I've always tried to 
leave it better and not only leave it better, but make the little changes that I can make. I'm only one person, right? You can't change the entire Air Force, but if you can change a couple of people's lives or if you can put them on a path where they're going to be successful, then I think I've done my job. And like I said, I love being a 30F and that's the hardest part about moving forward and actually applying for retirement because right now people are like, oh, what's next for you? Like, come in and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I got to this point. But when I think of what's on the other end, I need it to be Trent and the kids. You know, I, it took me a while. I'm not gonna lie. It took me a while to get to this point because this time last year I was all in. I was like, I want to be a commander. I want to be an 06. I want to be the AFSOC A1. I had it all planned out in my head. But sometimes the plans that you have in your head don't always work out and you have to really put into perspective what's important. And while that is important, it's absolutely important. And whoever does that, like good on them. But for me, what my priority is, is Trent and the kids. And that just had to really kind of be like slapped into me at this last deployment because that was such a quick turn for me. Like you guys yeah, on you team did. are used to going quickly and every couple months, but as a support person, you don't go that often. I mean, three times in the last six and a half years for more than six months. That's a lot for a support person. And people always ask me like, how do you go so much? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not even anything cool. Like, I don't know how I go. Like, you know, I mean, being a 30F is cool, but I just joke about that, but it's like the off tempo of an operator, you know? And so it's, it's, it was tough. And so I think that really put to perspective what I need to do moving forward. And I can still contribute to the air force if I want to come back as a civilian, you know, I, I just right now I need to focus on taking care of me and taking care of my family because at the end of the day, <laughs> like if you're not a hundred percent and your life is not balanced and there's no way that you can really truly be a successful leader. And I think that I have found myself in very unbalanced times lately and taking a step back has helped me put things back in order. So that's what's next for me. I'm going to be Mrs. Trent for a while. Everyone's like, what are you going to do when you, when you retire? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to be a mom. I'm going to be a wife. I'm going to bake. I'm going to cook. I'm going to go shopping. I don't know. <laughs> That's good. Cause fair warning. I'm going to use and abuse Trent. We, <laughs> we're. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, it's unusual, right? Because I mean, if you, if people meet us and they're like, Oh, so it's like, you know, they find out what we do is Trent gone all the time. And since we've been at JBSA, it's like, well, no, no. Trent's been home watching the kids. Well, well, Maribel's been out, you know, all over the world, gallivanting and doing, uh, you first know, of all, I'm hanging out with your deployed friends. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> love you, it's, Josh. Um, <laughs> it's easier, you know. It's it's hard being at home sometimes when you first come back because when you're deployed, all you have to think about is working mm -hmm. out, eating, and going to work. That's all you got to do, and anything extra like hanging out, that's cool. But at home. The whole, it's, you know, paying the bills and making sure the groceries are here and the kids are fed. And it's a lot. And so sometimes I look at Trent and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how you do this. Like he leaves me alone with them for a couple of hours. And I'm like, can you please take them? <laughs> no, nah, they're good. They're good kids. I love hanging out with them. And that's a, a big reason why I want to retire because I want time back with them. You know, there's a lot of time that I've yeah. missed that I can't get back. And so when I'm at home, I, I am a hundred percent at home. You know, I obviously... I have a very busy job, so I take the calls as, as needed. But when I walk through that door, 
my focus is on the family and being there for the kids. And if that means it's making cookies or building Legos or stepping on them, you know, or taking (laughs) Olivia for a girl's day, you know, it's, that's what I do when I'm at home because those are all the things I can't get that time back. And I think a lot of people forget that Like the more time that you give to the military, it takes from you and it's all for good things. You know, we all have our reasons for why we join and what we believe in, but it does come at a sacrifice and it's not easy. And you have to really, Give when you're at work 100%, but when you're at home, give 100% to at home. Yeah. And and I think it, and I'm no expert in this, but I think it's about the quality of the time, not the amount of the time. Right. So yeah. if you're, if you are gone all the time, whether you're, yeah. you know, doing whatever job, if you're gone all the time, then that's, that's fine. But um, the time that you are with them has got to be quality. So some of that cue time. Um, So since you are going to take a step back and and retire and all that kind of good stuff, what are some of the skills that you think or that you know, rather, uh, that the Air Force kind of left you with? And and it's not necessarily that the Air Force left you with. It's maybe it's things that you learned doing the job and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So. I think given all the experience that I've had and the different jobs that I've had, um, I can handle high stress situations and not be freaking out and just kind of be smooth under that pressure, which is hard for a lot of people. I have a job where I have to multitask a lot of different operations. And that's been, I've had a lot of tough jobs in the Air Force. And when I say tough, I mean, I was the AFSOC A1 exec for a year and I worked in AFSOC protocol for two years. And those were very high visibility, you know, stressful jobs. But I think it taught me to be calm through the things that, that you're faced with. And so I think, should I choose to get a job after if I go to work at any company, I think I'll bring a different set of skills where, you know, I can manage all of those things and not get overwhelmed and having a a presence where you're able to speak to people, a large crowd of people and not fumble over your words or be nervous. You can present that, you know, composed figure that sometimes I think other, other companies need. And being in the military has also given me um, kind of a sense of, of strength as far as belief in myself, because we are put in a lot of situations, especially in a deployed environment where you have to come to terms with your own mortality. And I think that in and of itself strengthens you, uh, strengthens your mind as a person and strengthens the belief in what you're capable of. So, you know, you don't claim to be invincible because you know that at any moment you could, you could go. But at the same time, being in the military has helped me really, truly know that no matter what I face, like it's going to be okay, you know? And so I have a lot of computer skills. I'm very good with Excel and Word doc <laughs> and all of the different <laughs> office stuff. Um, but I mean, Hey, that's great hard. for being able to make money and stuff. But I, I, I guess yeah. I was just, I mean, you kind of nailed it in terms of, uh, you know, it's given you the, um, you know, the skills to be able to deal with stressful situations, things, you know, yeah. flexibilities, the key to air power kind of thing, oh right? Because that's real because things are constantly changing and evolving. Yeah. And just because it says it in a book or in a regulation doesn't necessarily mean that that is the correct or the right thing to do. It's, Absolutely. it's knowing I think when to identify that and being able to deviate. Yeah. And I think 
that's what I've struggled with the last couple of years. A lot of people are very by the book and I understand why the book is there, but I think at the end of the day, you have to kind of be able to operate in the gray area to still make it happen. You know, it's not illegal. It's not immoral. It's not unethical, but it makes the mission go. And I think if you can find that flexibility, then you'll be successful no matter what. Yeah. And, and there is a time and place for the book, right? Like if, Mm -hmm. if, for technical orders with maintainers turning yeah. wrenches on planes, like that's really important to follow that, right? Yeah. Because if not, then we're risking a whole bunch of stuff. But sure. in, in other situations and regulations and stuff like that, it is, you use it, I always try and use it as a point of departure. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's I mean, and they're there, they're, they're there for us to, to do that, you know? And when I was a young airman, I didn't know anything. And my boss, she was a tech sergeant and she'd always be like, go look it up in the AFI. And I'm like, why do you always make me go look it up? She's like, you're going to thank me later. And sure enough, you know, I'm grateful for that because now I don't expect everybody to just give me the answer. I try to find it myself, whether it be on my PERS or EPUBs, whatever it is, you know, I try to find the answer before I reach out to someone. And that has actually helped me a lot because people come to me like, give it to Maribel, she'll find it, she'll figure it out. But then I end up being like the person like, wait, Air Force, like, let me find, let me figure this out, you know, but it, it helps me a lot. I think you're also good at like, yeah. um, well, sorry, like, like the people management, right? Like one of the things that we, we struggle with sometimes is people are not like boxes that fit into the mission perfectly, but like you can go in there and and find like the talented people and help them understand why they're doing what they're doing and why it's important and getting that mission, like the, the, the talent management and the resource management of people and the communicating to all echelons to make the mission happen is something that I think uh, is something that that doesn't necessarily exist as like a, a, a corporate leadership philosophy. You know what I mean? Right. Well, everybody has to be led a different way. Like you can't lead somebody. You can't be leading. You can't lead people the same way with because everybody's different. Everybody. I, I look at it like if you're making a clay pot, right? This is like an analogy that I think about when I'm thinking about FSS. It's a clay pot and there's a bunch of different strokes, but at the end of the day, you're going to have this clay pot. So you got to figure out how to make each one count and how to make each one feel that they matter. And they do, you know, you just have to, maybe I have to be a little bit more forceful with one person, but I have to be a little bit more soft with another. And that's something that you can't learn in a book. That's something you have to just, I don't know. I don't know why, how or why I do it. I just do it, you know, (laughs) because I just, I just want everyone to work together. And if something's wrong, then say that it's wrong, you know, and, and we'll figure out a way to fix it. You know, don't just sit here and complain to me, bring me your solution and like, I'll help you out, you know? And so, um, I think that's been kind of my way, you know, always just seeing like what people need. And I always say like, you know, you can't lead your people if you don't know them. So I legit like get to know the people that I work with. It's a lot of people, but I know their names and their stories. And well, they're not all at my location. That's over three bases. So think about it. And that we actually four because of Camp Bullets too. So it's like four locations. So, but I just focus on the Randolph piece and that's still a lot. And, but I I know those people, you know, and I know what makes them go and I know what makes them mad. And I know, the things that, you know, we could probably improve upon. And it's, it's a tough business being in the um, MPS, especially I could give them a shout out because they have a, a big thankless job. They, you know, ID oh, cards, 100%. appointments, all that is always a point of contention for a lot of people. And, but not to say that it's, it's always that way because we do, we have those ice comments and we get a lot of good feedback. We have a really great solid team of people out at Randolph. So they're, they're doing phenomenal things with, you know, given the times and, and just the, the way that things are these days, but you know, you make it work. 
No, for sure. It, it is a thankless job. Um, and there's a bunch of thankless jobs in the Air Force, but, you know, all the folks that are dealing with, you know, the FSS and dealing with the, all the my eval and all that stuff now, like, it is. <laughs> yeah, I say my eval because I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about don't, don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am not trying to talk about my eval right now, but <laughs> me either. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but for the, for the viewers that are out there, if you notice what Mari said, researching things, because I know that me, Trent and Aaron have all said this, like in terms of answering comments, answering DMS, emails is there's a lot of information out there. Like some of it's outdated. Some of it's just flat out wrong. Even we have said incorrect things, right. And we come back and we try and correct everything that we've, you know, misspoken about. But when you, when you come to us and you say, Hey, uh, you know, how can I get better at X, Y, Z? How, how, like, and you ask questions that are readily available. Like you just, you hit the easy button. You went straight to us and sent us a DM. Like, man, if I, if I can just take 10 seconds and hop on Google and just type in that question and the answer pops up, like, man, come on. Like that's, <laughs> you put zero effort in if you would just type that same question into Google versus typing it and sending it to us, like you'd have your question answered. And then it may generate other questions that are valid that you can't find the answer to. That's when you can ping us about that kind of stuff. So yeah. uh, again, I, it sounds like I'm, I'm complaining about the DMS that we get. That's not it. It's just, we want self-reliant people to come into the air force, to come into special warfare, to come into whatever job it is in the DOD. And if you, you've got to be able to put in the work and I say, put in the work of the 10 seconds of putting it into Google, but you got to be able to put in the work um, so that you can find the answers yourself. So I, Mari, I had the same experiences yeah. anytime that somebody, I had a question and it was a question based off of the Air Force instruction or an Air Force manual or something like that. It was like, hey, go find it. Here's the reg. Like, I'll help you out. Here's, you know, you need to go look in, you know, 13, AFI 13217, or you need to go look in whatever it is. And then I'd go look. And then you you research it and you learn it. And then also you you kind of generally you kind of learn some other things at the time. You're like, oh, I didn't even know that this reg encompassed this topic whatever it is you know so it's all learning which is all goodness you got to figure it out you got to figure it out you know you sometimes you're not going to have somebody in your back pocket to ask the question so you got to figure it out that's what i always say and i don't say that to people i say it to myself like figure it out you know and i do <laughs> and you're right i learn along the way as i'm figuring it out yep all right so transitioning a little bit to um being in the aspect war kind of umbrella, which, mm -hmm. which you are, are in maybe not directly, but you are, you know, married to that dude right there. Yeah. Um, so what has been your experience dealing with, uh, I mean, you were kind of already in AFSOC prior. So like yeah. you've got a little bit more experience in that regard than, than most people, but what kind of has been your, your experience being a spouse to somebody who is in aspect war. Well, here we I go. Was, 
<laughs> so I was fortunate enough prior to marrying Trent to be in a one of the special tactics units as a CSS for two years before I even met Trent. So I got to see what that world looks like. And then I was at Herbert, you know, so that was really eye-opening because prior to that, I was very a part of other commands where I didn't really know what special operations was. And so it was extremely eye-opening for me. And I was just so like in awe and like, this, these guys are so cool. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. And, you know, my, my squadron did a really good job of integrating me. Like I would go on rucks with them and we would run to the sound and swim and run back. And it was a really cool thing. Cause I got to be like one of the guys, you know, and they really took care of me and they really looked out for me. So that camaraderie and the brotherhood was something that I really appreciated. And then when I got married to Trent, I realized how hard it is to be married to somebody who's in special operations because there's nothing that's, that's definite. There's always a TDY that's going to pop up. There's always a deployment. And just when you get them back from deployment and you're getting back to good, something else happens and they got to go again, you know? And so you have to really be independent of in and of yourself to, I think, make those marriages work. You, I, you cannot be in a dependent marriage when you're married to somebody that is in, I say dependent or codependent, codependent. You can't be codependent. Like I'm very independent uh, in my own right. So I love Trent and I love sharing my life with him, but I don't need him to be me. I don't need him to make things happen, you know? And so I think that's been extremely helpful in helping our marriage last the past 15 years, because I know that when he goes, like it's on me, I've got it. And just like when I've gone, I don't worry about him because I know that he's got it. He's just as independent. So, and that does take a little bit of finesse, I would say, when you first get married, because when you have two A-type personalities, you kind of have to figure out what the give and what the take is. And so I'm not going to sit here and tell the viewers, oh, our marriage has been blessed and it's been so easy because it's not. It's been very hard, especially on the years when he had high ops tempos or when I have. And those are the things you got to work through, you know, you it's easy to quit, but if you're an AFSOC, you can't quit. And I have that mentality just growing up in the AFSOC, like quitting, like failure is not an option, right? So you figure out how to make it good. And there are days when you want to quit, but then you think back to all the situations you've been put into and like, you're just not going to quit. Like Trent's not that lucky. I'm not that lucky. Like you got to make it work. You know, you figure out, and if that means taking like a day or two and just like decompressing by yourself and have a little staycation, then do that. And then come back when you're ready to talk to each other unemotional and you're not letting the emotions get the better of you. Because if there's anything that I've learned, once you say stuff, you can't take it back. And whether you're sorry about it, like, that's cool, but like, it's still there. You know, it's kind of like, like a tube of toothpaste. Whenever you put the toothpaste out, it's can't out. It you can't put it back in, right? So I've thought about that a lot in, over the years as Trent and I have gone through things. And I think we've come out really strong on the back end, especially after this last deployment. I, I was really worried. I was really worried that this was going to be extremely stressful on us because I was just getting back to good after being gone for eight months. And here I am up and leaving again. So when you're in a relationship with someone in AFSOC, I think you have to go into it with open eyes and an open heart and know that you have to give your partner some grace and know that you may not be their number one priority sometimes and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing personal. It's, it's like, no. you know, being a, being independent is huge and yeah. you're right. You can't have the codependent 
uh, aspect of it. Or if you do, it is, you can, and it can work, but it is somebody's. It's a little bit tougher. Yeah, it's going to be tougher, and there's going to be some somebody who's maybe pulling their weight more than someone else kind of thing. Yeah, and I think being, I think because I have the experience of being in the military too, excuse me, I understand that Trent has to focus on what he's doing downrange, and I can't be bringing him all this extra drama when he's down there, you know, because he's got stuff to do. And if he's sidetracked with stuff that's going on back at home, then that leaves his team open to some sort of risk. And I'm just not willing to do that because I understand how important it is, the things that you guys do down there. So I don't care if I'm super mad, I'll hold it all in until he comes back. And after he decompresses and I'll be like, so when you were gone this one time, I was mad about X, Y, and Z, you know, so I think it's funny when, <laughs> but that's what you have oh, to do go. because you can't. You like I don't know. Yeah, but I I think at where we're at now though we I think we got kind of lucky that you've deployed so many times because yeah. it's it's easy when you're the team guy and you're gone all the time and to think like you know home life is so easy like I'm not though you know like they get to stay at home with the kids and like how bad can it be you know yada yada yada. And then being able to see both sides of that situation, especially your Afghanistan rotation, where I think you were probably closer to doing what I've done, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was just scary. Build, build mm. Real mutual respect, though, for for what we've we've both done and gone through. Yeah, yeah. Afghanistan was really scary for me. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like I was so tough. No, I was scared when they dropped me off in the middle of a soccer field in Kabul. They like threw my bags out. These army guys were like, "Okay, get out." I'm like, "What do you mean get out?" Like, get out. I'm like, "Okay." So like, I have my black vest, my helmet, and I like jump off the helicopter, and I'm like standing there, and it's like, like going, and I'm, like, what am I doing? And like, this Navy lieutenant comes like Captain Sigmiller, and I was like, "Yes," and he was like, "Come on," and I was like looking around me, and I was right in the center of Kabul. I was at the headquarters for Resolute Support which is in the center of the city here. I was thinking like, I'm going to like this, you know, cool air force deployment at Bagram. I'm going to sit in an office and they send me to the middle of Kabul. And I'm like, what is going on here? But <laughs> for as scary as that deployment was, and I say scary because you really are put into the line. Like you hear the V beds going off. You hear the, the rockets, you hear the, the gunfire and it is not far. And, we would go on camp lockdown very often. And so that's not always fun. And in the moment you get through it and you just realize that like, Hey, you have to be at peace with, with your life. And if it's your time to go, then it's your time to go. And that was the first time I really had to think about that because here I'm thinking like Trent's at home. I have a two-year-old and I'm out here, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it so that Olivia and Nixon don't ever have to, if they don't want to, you know, I want to, to make it a good thing for me and realize that my life brought me to this point. And so I just have to keep going. And that's where I take back to the AFSOC mentality is like failure is not an option. No matter what comes your way, you, you lean into the fear and that's what I had to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I, I got to ask, you said, <laughs> you said, um, <laughs> Something to the effect of, you know, your your spouse doesn't, when you're deployed, your spouse doesn't bring you any kind of issues. So did Trent not bring you any issues? No, like he, he really didn't. Like when I'm deployed. <laughs> he handled business. He did. Nice. He, did. he handled and business. I don't, we, it's so weird because 
People ask me all the time. They're like, aren't you worried about him? I'm like, no, I'm not worried about him. He's fine. I'm like, he's going to figure it out. And they're like, man, he's so good. Like, he, he's with the kids by himself. And I'm like, hey, it's okay. Like, when the doorbell rings, my kids are going to run to it and say, it's pizza. Even though it's not pizza, I'm okay with that. Those are the, the things you have to just accept. But no, he didn't bring me any problems when I was gone. I'm, there you go. I'm All right. grateful I that had he to, was I had home. to ask. <laughs> I had to ask. Nope. <laughs> no, he didn't. I think that's why I was able to just, that's why I've been able to go three times in a row in the last six years, because I don't worry about home. You know, a lot yeah. of people don't have that, that luxury. And I hate to say that, but it's true. Some people get tests for deployment and then they worry about what's going to happen at their home life. And for me, I've had three short notice deployments, like no kidding, within 10 days, I had to leave. So I don't have time to think about all that extra stuff. I it just turn on the switch and go in go mode and try helps me get my bags together. And we figure out an easy way to tell the kids and then I'm off, you know, and yeah. it's not, it's not easy to leave every time gets harder. And this last time that I left probably was one of the saddest days that I'd had in a long time. And I remember sitting in the BWI airport for like 12 hours waiting for the rotator Germany before I could get to Africa. And I put a note in my phone, like, don't ever forget how you feel right now, because that's like a sadness you can't explain, you know, because you don't know yeah. when you're coming back. Well, I think yeah. some of it, too, is expectation management. You can't leave and expect that when you come back, the house is going to look the way oh, yeah. it looked when you left, yeah. you know? And so like, I think I think that helps a lot. Like, don't don't come home and expect everything to be perfect the way that you. Uh, yeah. The way that you left it. But the kids are alive. The house hasn't burned down. Yeah. And you got to look at it, too. Like, Trent's been operating in his own AOR at home for the last six to eight months, doing things his way. So who am I to come in and be like, I'm home now. We're going to do this this way and completely change the program for everyone. So I take a little bit of time to integrate myself. I take a couple days to sleep. And then after that, I kind of start going through each of the rooms and just putting things the way that I like them. Not that <laughs> the it's wrong. They should be. Not that it's wrong the way Trent does it. It's just different and so i get things back the way i like them <laughs> and then after that it's fine and each deployment that we've had in our marriage we always have that little rough transition time but that's to be expected i think people need to expect that if someone's coming back from deployment it's you're going to have those little transition times oh for sure I, and i'm laughing because i'm going through that right now uh, donna just <laughs> donna just spent 10 days back in the united kingdom and and it's it's only 10 days like whatever yeah um but uh you know i can see when she walked in the house last night from the airport um just kind of like looking around <laughs> and i'm yeah. like oh man i was like <laughs> you know like well change it back. Like, I don't, you know, whatever. It's not like I went and changed a bunch of stuff. It's just like Trent has different priorities than you do. Yeah. Just like you have different priorities, you know, mm -hmm. just like I do. Everybody does. So like, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it is funny though. It is funny. Yeah. Um, so kind of like the last little topic I wanted to hit is just the kind of some of the challenges that you dealt with and, and you've kind of already covered it. So if, if we're repeating kind of answers, then, then don't worry about it. But some of the challenges that you guys have dealt with being uh, military to military, uh, you know, spouses. I don't know my challenge. <laughs> the, I, I think the, for us, the things that have made us successful, just like 
it's weird that, that I, I'll conflate marriage with like the same advice that I give a lot of the candidates, you know, like it doesn't make everything easier, but it does make you successful. You know, like we're both like, we've talked about kind of like stubborn, not going to quit people. And I think that's, that can be, that can be challenging, but yeah. And then just like the, the never knowing, you know, like, especially like when I was on team, a, a lot of the, you know, Hey, I got a TDY coming up. It's like, well, what days? It's like, we don't know yet. When are you coming back? We don't know yet. I'm yeah. deploying what days, what that, you know, like there, there are no concrete like time stamps on anything that we do. And I think that was, that was always a struggle. It's just like, well, how, how did, you know, how does nobody know what's going on? And it's like, well, nobody knows, you know, like we go, a lot tell in the us air. To go. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, a challenge too, is if you have really good careers, you have to figure out what you're willing to sacrifice to make your family successful, your marriage successful, because a challenge for me is like I've said, having to really take a step back and realize that it's not all about me because I put my career on the forefront for so long that a huge challenge for me was knowing when it was time to be okay with hanging up the uniform, which I'm still like, I still struggle with it a little bit, but I know it's what I'm doing it for. And that's what takes me back to like knowing that that, that's a good choice that I'm making, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's, it's been an easy choice, but I know that when I look back upon it, it's not going to be a decision that I made out of haste. And I'm not going to look back on it with a regret because I get to keep my family intact. And that's a challenge being dual military that especially with, you know, my high up, up tempo job, which sounds weird saying that as an FSS person, but him and his, you know, high ops tempo job, you come to a point where you have to meet in the middle and say like, what's, what's important to us? What does the next five, 10 years look like? And when I put it into perspective, if I stay in and I shoot for the stars and go to try to be a colonel, then by that time, Olivia's out of the house. And then, you know, I missed a lot of that time. And then you talked about quality time, but you can't get the time that you missed back. And Nixon's nope. five and I've left him twice. And so that has been extremely hard for me because I, I, I missed the three-year-old chubby cheeks, you know, now he, <laughs> and you know, those are things that I can't get back. I see them in pictures, but that's been a challenge for me as a mom, as a mom yeah. who wants to have it all. And I want to show Olivia and Nixon that you can chase your dreams, but at some point you have to have a balance. And when you become so unbalanced, that's when you have to step back. And so I was at that point, I was super unbalanced. My career was career, career, career. And Trent was at home, you know, chasing the kids while I'm chasing my dreams. And it just, it was unbalanced. And at the end of the day, I think if you're both still military and you have strong career aspirations, then you have to work together to make that work. Cause otherwise one of you, it's just not going to work out and you have to be okay with what you thought was going to be isn't being anymore. And so you got to find a new way. But when you get to that new way, if you have your family there, then you're going to be okay. Like I'm not, I was so worried about it. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is, I never thought about anything else. And now I'm excited for all of the opportunity to come. And I know that I had a good foundation with the Air Force. The Air Force set me up so well and I met the best people. And so I would never say that, like, I'm not leaving bitter. I'm not leaving mad. I'm not leaving because I don't like the Air Force. I'm leaving because I have to put my family first. And that's really the only reason I'm leaving. And that's okay. That's mm-hmm. okay. And uh, I, I think that was a good good place to end just because, like, you you did a great job of encapsulating 
all the pros and cons just right there in that three minute freaking sound box. <laughs> like, like, like I got nothing. So, um, <laughs> well, I'm like, grateful to be on. I know it was a little bit nerve wracking for me at first. I was like, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Like, it's fine. And Trent's like, no, they do. And I was like, well, I don't know. You know, just because I don't like being the center of attention. Like, I am not the person that is like, look at me, pay attention to me. I'm an officer. Like, nobody cares about that. <laughs> they care about if I'm going to like take care of them and, you know, really get to know them and look out for them. So thanks for giving me this mm-hmm. opportunity. I hope I didn't speak too fast. But when you meet me in person, you'll realize that I just talk fast. that's fine you didn't talk too fast at all but i definitely appreciate you joining us and and good luck on the next chapter um whenever that comes which sounds like it's going to be coming sooner rather than later next so good luck on that and thanks for thanks for doing everything that you've done for the air force and for the country and then for everybody else out there uh, appreciate you listening watching please like subscribe hit the notification bell and please leave us a review check out the shop too we got some merch on there and we're getting restocked on some stuff and uh it'll be back up here soon so uh from us out here train hard and have a good one later